Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Hello, everyone. We are back officially, season four of Deliverability Defined. Melissa can't stop laughing because I'm sorry. we're not used to this anymore. It feels different. It does feel different. A lot's happened. I have to start the episode the way I normally do, but this time I'm going to do it twice. First, I normally say, how are you doing, Melissa? But I'm also, after that, going to say, how are you doing, Nathan Berry? Because we have a guest. And I know you're really excited about it. So how are you doing, Melissa? I am good. I'm ready to start the season off with a bang. It's weird. I I don't think we've had... I think Nathan's only our second guest we've ever had. Really? I think. I think third. Is it third? Oh, yes. Lauren Meyer. (laughs) Yeah, we've had some great guests. And Ben. Yes. And Ben. Ben from ConvertKit. Yeah, which is one of our most popular episodes. So, Nathan, we're going to have to see... How you compare mm, to Ben? A little competition. Let's see if I can. Yeah. <laughs> I'll promote the episode to my newsletter. I'll I'll try to uh, purely to beat out Ben <laughs> for no other reason. Okay. Well, how are you doing, Nathan? I'm good. We have a lot going on, but it's fun to dive in and talk about all things email. Yep. I'm so happy you're here. For anyone listening, I'm pretty sure you know who Nathan is, but let's just pretend you don't. Nathan Berry is the CEO of ConvertKit, Melissa and I's boss. So. We're a little nervous. <laughs> we'll do live performance reviews. Don't it's worry not, about he's it. He's a nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're going to find out on this episode how Melissa and I are doing in our jobs. <laughs> but Nathan's wonderful, so we're not scared. And he has a lot of knowledge, obviously, in the email marketing space and the creator economy. And specifically today, I think we could probably like have a whole season talking to Nathan, so we won't go too broad. Today's episode, we're going to focus specifically on his paid evergreen email sequence, because I think that's a really interesting tactic, a way for creators to earn a living, and one that I think can almost be passive income. I hate to use the word passive income because I know it takes a lot of work and there's some upkeep that happens, but for the most part, it's a really nice tool to unlock money that's just happening in the background while you can do your other things. So we can jump right into it. Nathan, I would love to hear, first of all, what is your paid email newsletter about? Yeah, it is a secret newsletter about money. Ooh. It's not very secret because we're talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> and I tweet about it from time to time. Uh, but the idea is I've created a lot of content and there's a lot of content on the internet about how to earn a living as a creator. And so, you know, maybe it's how to earn your first $1,000 or how to earn $60,000 a year so you can go full time or something like that. And I found that there's very little content about what to do after that. And particularly, like, let's say your goal was to maybe you made $75,000 a year in your full-time job and you get to that point as a creator, you're now making, you're exceeding that and you can retire, right? Or not retire, (laughs) the opposite (laughs) of retire. You can go work on your full-time, you know, work full-time in your creator business. And I think what happens is a lot of people need a certain amount of leverage to get to that level, right? You start to, to hit you know, maybe an audience size of 
five, 10, 15,000 subscribers. And once that leverage kicks in, a lot of people end up blowing past, like it takes forever to maybe to get to the point where they can say, okay, I can go full time on my creative venture. And then because the leverage has kicked in, they blow past it. And so then you end up in a position where it's like, okay, I'm making a hundred, 150, maybe $200,000 a year as a creator. And you're like, wait, now what do I do? Yeah. And so this newsletter is entirely for people who are making far more money than they ever expected to. And now have all kinds of questions about what do I do? And they're like, I don't know, maybe feel embarrassed asking those questions because they're like, I have this problem and it's a champagne problem. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's still a real problem. So that's what the newsletter is about. I wanted to do a paid newsletter because I love the format. I love writing for email. I love it timed of like people looking forward to, you know, Friday morning. Hey, what's the latest issue coming out? But I, I did a little twist on it of instead of doing something that's written live, I did the the email course where, you know, you sign up, you get email one the first week and then email two the next week and so on. And I did that because I didn't want to have to work on this mm -hmm. like all the time. I didn't want like Thursday night to be like, oh shoot, I haven't gotten an email out yet. I haven't, what am I going to write tomorrow? Especially because I have a full-time job <laughs> that I need to be. Yeah, I think you're a little kind busy. of. <laughs> <laughs> that I should be paying attention to. And so the email sequence was a way that I could like have the creative outlet and not make another job for myself. So that's how I picked the format and that's what it is. Yeah, that makes sense. You said like, you felt like there was not a lot of information after creators got to that point. But was there any like key piece of that that kind of like got you thinking about doing this newsletter? Like what was the part that you saw or figured out where you were like, oh, this could be really beneficial to people. I'm just interested if there was like one thing or if it was like a question someone asked you or if you were just like doing your own research and you thought, oh, this is missing from the market. Yeah, what sparked it is two different conversations I had with creators. Actually, one conversation and one observation. First was the conversation where someone was talking about the product launch they'd done. They were trying to make like twenty dollars or $30,000 off this product launch. And they hit that in the launch and then it just kept going. Like they just kept selling more and more of these products. And I kept talking to them and they were starting to get upset about it because they had, they were very, very excited, but then they had like all of this imposter syndrome kick in and like, yeah, I worked hard to make the course and I got paid for that. But now like I'm still just getting paid. And it was basically like, I'm not worthy to have this success. And it was interesting someone actually expressing it that way. Cause I think a lot of people feel it, but maybe don't express it. And so we had a very candid conversation about that. But then I noticed two other creators. And, and I think it's a pattern across the industry of people who had some level of success and then they sabotaged it. Like not on purpose. I don't think we would <laughs> we would do that on purpose. But they'd say like, oh, this worked. And so now I'm going to go do this. And you're like, but that first thing, remember the thing that worked, you know, like do more of the thing that worked. And so people either feel like they're not worthy. And so they uh, like sabotage it in some way or put in like their own limitations or they get some level of success and then try to like parlay it into something entirely different. And that ends up, Burning out. So I watched all of these creators basically achieve their goals and then go on to either structure a business or a life in a way that they really didn't like, or 
like make business or financial decisions that didn't serve them. And so I wanted to take a step back and basically say like, no, you earned this, you're worthy of it. And let's be smart with what you have because there's a lot of ways that this can go really well and there's a lot of ways that it can go poorly. Yeah. Oof, I have so many questions. But one thing that I love about the secret money newsletter, which I later want to get into like the whole secret aspect of it because I think that's so interesting. But another part of that is you are so transparent Mm -hmm. about your finances in that newsletter in a way that is, I think, very rare. And I don't know if I've ever seen it before. So I'd love to talk more about that. But to get more specific for people listening, I think there's one, uh, email that goes out where you actually like share your entire net worth yep. <laughs> and <laughs> like every part of that, which is just, I think, so cool and so helpful. And that's what makes the newsletter so valuable because you're not just giving blanket statements. Oh, yeah, set up a 401k. Like, you know, you're like getting into details about your finances. So mm-hmm. how did you make that decision? Was that scary? And I guess like, was it worth it? Is it worth it to be that transparent about things that are scary to be transparent about sometimes? Yeah. Oh, those are all good questions. (laughs) So I, um, I've been transparent about metrics for a long time. Mm -hmm. ConvertKit has had a public metrics page. Go to convertkit.com slash metrics since like $2,000 a month in revenue. And now we're at what? Two and a half million a month, something around that. I can't do the annual Mm -hmm. conversion in my head. And I think in terms of annual revenue, but that's been transparent for a long time. And I was transparent with metrics before that because like I grew up in an environment where there weren't a, there wasn't a lot of good information about money. And so the first time that I had to, to negotiate a salary for a job, I like, I had no idea. And actually my girlfriend, now wife, I was over at her house and talking to her family. And I was like, yeah, and I have this job interview tomorrow or in a couple of days, if, if it goes well, like, I think they might offer me a job and I have no idea. Like what's a good salary? Like, $30,000 a year, $50,000, you know, like I, I have no idea. Yeah. And, and this is for a design position. And my father-in-law like was like, oh, I have a, I have a book for you. Like, and he went and got this book on salary negotiation. And he was just talking through like, here's some of the things that you do. Here's what you don't do. And I read the book. And one of the things that it said is, it was talking about how when someone says a salary, you can just like think about it. You don't have to react or respond right away. You can just be like, okay, all right, interesting. And I'm really bad at that sort of thing, especially <laughs> 14 years ago or whenever this was. But there's just a lot of good tips in this book that, of things that I had never learned before or thought about. And when it came time to actually like talk sellers, we're, we're sitting down over lunch. I went out to lunch with the, the COO of this company. He's like, we'd like to offer you the position. And I remember this very distinctly because I had ordered like a bagel sandwich for lunch, which is a terrible thing to order because <laughs> it's like difficult to chew, you know? So difficult. <laughs> and kind of messy. <laughs> kind of messy. And like they're taller than they should be. <laughs> and so anyway, he's saying like, we'd like to offer you a position. And right then I take a bite. Oh. Like a little too big of a bite. And he's like, at $50,000 a year. I thought that was amazing. Like that was way more than Mm -hmm. like 40. I would have accepted probably 45. I would have been thrilled with 50. I was like, this is fantastic. But like I was raised properly. You don't talk with your mouth full. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like trying to chew through this bite of a bagel sandwich. And 
I think it made him really nervous, like Ooh. that he had just lowballed me. And so he goes, or 60,000 a year. <gasps> <laughs> and so like- That's amazing. That sandwich is the most profitable sandwich I've ever eaten. <laughs> That's the best visual <laughs> I've wow. ever Because <laughs> really like the takeaway is if someone says something, don't agree to it right away. Even if you think it's great, say like, okay, let me think about that. Let me talk to my team. Let me talk to my wife. Let me talk to, you know, whoever, right? Or you end up like, okay, yeah, I think we can make that work. Instead of being like, done, sold, yes. Yeah. The, all of a sudden they're like, uh, no. Like <laughs> a deal that they might've been really happy with, all of a sudden they're not happy with it mm. all because you agreed to it way too quickly. That's a whole tangent. The point of that story is there's all of these things in life that if you don't have role models for, or you don't have places where you can directly learn them, then you're not going to, to get that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so many people in the business world are like, here's how to negotiate a salary, but they would never talk about like, Hey, for this role, this is the salary that you should be paid. You're doing this job. You have three years of experience, you know, all, all of this. And so having transparent numbers really matters. I think also in the creator world, if someone's like, I did this product launch and it did really well. And here's five tips that you should mm -hmm. follow to do a product launch that did really well. Like mine, I'm like, what does really well mean? Mm -hmm. Did it do $500? Did it do $5,000, $50,000? If it did, I mean, there's product launches that people do like once a year, you know, maybe like a Marie Forleo with her B-School, right? That's a more than a $500,000 product launch. It's probably in the, right. the low millions from a single launch. And I might actually not take her advice because that doesn't match the level like that's not appropriate to my level. She's actually making way too much. She's like, here's how you run a product launch with a 15 person team and how you orchestrate all of this perfectly. Mm -hmm. And someone else on the other end might be like, yeah, I, I killed it with this product launch. And I find out they made $500 off of that. And I'm like, that's fantastic. But also, you know, I'm playing at a level where, you know, a, a good product launch for me might be $10,000, for example. And so by putting advice out there and real numbers, you show people what's possible and they can learn from the specifics and you can let them know, like, should they calibrate to this advice? Um, and so for me, it just makes a huge difference when people share actual numbers, it gives real context. Mm -hmm. And so that's been my idea of always paying it forward and saying like, mm -hmm. okay, I love it when people share numbers and the best way to make the world the way that I want it, you know, is to set that example. So that's why I would love to see breakdowns of other people's net worth, how they invest their money and all of that. Yeah. Feel free to email them to Nathan at ConvertKit.com. <laughs> I was going to say, hint, hint, Sarah, you're listening. <laughs> so that, that's why I do it in the newsletter. I realize it's been a little while since I've put another one out, but the idea that I had is every so often, like every six months to a year, do another one so you can see how it changes over time. I was just going to say, I think that that's like a superpower, which we talk about with deliverability at ConvertKit too, is not everyone's willing to be transparent about things. If you are, like that is such, I would say like a big reason probably that your newsletter has been so successful. And we'll get into those numbers, speaking of metrics and transparency. And then, yeah, at ConvertKit, you know, we publish our deliverability metrics every month. And I don't know of any other email provider that's doing that. And that is a superpower we have because we're willing to let customers know, like, here's the open rates and here are the delivery rates. And it helps creators know, are my open rates healthy? How do they stack up? Things like that. So just I think this episode will be full of little nuggets that people can take away. So if you listening to this are willing to be transparent about 
something in your business or your life that will help you and help you grow, then I think that's just a really great superpower to to take. I think the way that you both have been so transparent with convergence metrics on the deliverability side makes a huge difference. Because I hear people in the industry talk about, like, even when we're not there, you know, you see it on an article or in a forum or something else, or especially on Twitter, talking about how Converca has the best deliverability. And I think, like, it's empirically true of the stats that we hit and all of that, but also just the way that you all talk about it. Because if someone says, like, oh, we have the best deliverability, it's like, well, what does that mean? The best relative. And when you're saying, here's the monthly report where you can see our stats, it's not in real time, but because mm-hmm. no one needs to look at those stats in real time, but like it, it adds so much credibility right. versus someone just saying a statement that has nothing backing it. I'm not going to say this as well as you did, Nathan, but you also made the comment about creating the world that you want to see. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. That's something that I think why this podcast even started was that Alyssa and I wanted to make information accessible because we saw that need in and wanted to fill that need, especially, you know, at ConvertKit. So I really like that aspect. Like, not only are you, you know, being honest and providing information to those who might really benefit from it, but you're also helping other people feel comfortable doing the same thing, which I think is really cool. And it's creating that that network of trust and honesty in like a creator universe. So I think that's really cool. Yep. I hope more creators do that. Me too. So I'm sure everyone listening is curious. Let's jump into the numbers, even though I have so many <laughs> other things I want to talk about too. But Let's just get into it. How much money has this evergreen email newsletter made you? Yeah, $52,000. So quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly more than I expected. <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah. I wanted to make something that the reason to charge for it is that I wanted a barrier to entry. So I was only getting people on the list who actually were really interested and were willing to pay Basically, there was a threshold to get on the list because I didn't want replies from people who are like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, here you are complaining about your money problems or like, wouldn't that be nice to have? Or, right. you know, or things you see on the internet, right, of someone both wanting to achieve a certain level of success and they're currently looking at and tearing down the people who have mm-hmm. achieved the level of success, that, you know. And, and so it's like, I want this. And also people who have this are what's wrong with the world, you know. And you're like, I think you might be self-sabotaging there. <laughs> Interesting. Um <laughs> But so I wanted it to be exclusive enough that it was people who were bought into it. And that's also why it started as a secret money newsletter, because I only like subtly linked to it to people who had been on my newsletter for a long time. And basically, so the top of the funnel wasn't wide open. Like you had to already be generally a fan of my work to to come into it. So I started charging $99 one time because it it is a, a weekly email, but it only goes for 14 weeks right now. And I add more emails as I like have ideas and write them. So it gradually gets longer. It was only six emails when I started it. And then over time, as it got longer, I think once I passed 12 emails, I raised the price from $99 to 149. I'll probably raise it again at some point. But yeah, it's done really, really well. The open rate on it is kind of ridiculous. It's 87%. That's insane. (laughs) That is very good. (laughs) How many subscribers? It is about 500. Like, that's a crazy open rate for 500 subscribers. 
<laughs> but that's a really cool thing about paid newsletters is that deliverability is totally different. Mm -hmm. Your subscribers are bought into these emails. It's really important that they receive emails and they care a lot because they've paid a lot of money for those emails. So mm -hmm. that is a great way to boost deliverability is start a paid newsletter, even if it's only to a smaller segment of your list, because it's going to have great engagement. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I guess one thing that I really like about the paid newsletter is it's a format that doesn't require a lot of production. So if we think about, like, I could write this content in an ebook instead, mm -hmm. but an ebook needs a an introduction and especially mm -hmm. a conclusion. I don't have a conclusion yet for this. I'm just like exploring ideas as it comes out. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get something wrong in the ebook that you publish or someone's like, hey, there's a better way to do this, then you're like <laughs> having to email your designer and say, hey, I actually changed this. Could you then go redesign it and make a new PDF and mm -hmm. release this thing? You have to keep track of which, maybe which version people have. So it's like, hey, you're wrong about this. And you're like, I know. But if actually, if you went and downloaded the update, you'll see that. So that there's all of those types of things. And I, I just love with email how, especially an email course, how, like how few barriers there are between your ideas and the reader. Mm -hmm. Like you can just sit down and write the thing and you don't have to worry about design. And like, I'm a designer. I know how to do <laughs> design very, very well. And I'm like, no, it's so much better to just be able to get the ideas out there. And then what I love is just being able to ask for replies mm -hmm. and to incorporate those into a future email. So I'll talk about, like I did, did an email on like uh, raising kids and how to think about money and a lot of those dynamics. And I got some really great replies. And so I started incorporating those. Some of them I incorporated back into the, the original email. So everyone who comes in the sequence later on is now going to get, I don't know, version 1.1 of that email. And it's like a little bit better. But then I could also do it of like, oh, this person replied and had this like really neat insight. And so I can have another email that's just about the feedback from one of the previous ones. And I can improve that. So it, like it makes it a much more like organic and free flowing process. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, it's a, an automated system. And so it's set up and going. And then I don't have to think about like no one's like, hey, where's the email for Friday? You know? <laughs> And I can just tweak and improve it. And so it, like, I can think about it once a month rather than having to think about it multiple times a week to make it happen. Yeah, it's great because it keeps the conversation going. So I really like that comparison to like an ebook because, you know, like you said, if something changes and then you have to update that, or if people aren't seeing the new update, like this allows people to be able to continue to have the open conversation, reply, and keep like a two-way communication, which I think is really cool, especially for an audience, probably makes people feel really included and involved. But it sounds like there's a lot of really great things about the way you have it set up. But I have to ask, what is the most challenging aspect of um, of this newsletter like right now? Having time to keep adding to it, you know, it does get to the point where people are like, are you going to add more? You know, and you didn't prom promise more, like I sold it and and tell people like, oh, there's six emails I might add more later. There's 12 emails I might add more later. You know, I've always tried to under-promise and over-deliver. But I do get an email or text from friends of like, you know, hey, like this would be awesome. Or could you write about? Uh, and so just having time to do that. Mm -hmm. I would have shut it down a long time ago if I made this a traditional paid newsletter where I had to stand up of it every week. Like that would add... I would add a lot of stress to my life and, and very little value. But in the format that it is... You know, it's pretty stress-free. The only thing is like, oh, I have more ideas and don't really have time to, to write them out. You know, there's another thing as you get, especially into, into deliverability, 
there are things that can go wrong as far as someone buys it and you're delivering it over email. And so someone might say like, oh, I didn't get this one or, you know, their auto like labels that they set up in Gmail, like filtered away. And so they're like, you know, email seven, I never got it. And you're like, it's like, okay, well, it was delivered. So there's like a little bit of customer support that can happen. And usually it's just the case that they're like, oh, I'm trying to remember one of them. I had talked about something money related and they used that bank or something. Like the equivalent was like, you know, whatever Wells Fargo. And they had a label in Gmail set up for Wells Fargo to like archive, you know, and so like (laughs) in their own rules, I had picked that up. So there's a little bit more like if it had been an ebook that you delivered all up front, you wouldn't have that particular Mm -hmm. potential problem. But like in ConvertKit, it's super easy to go in and select an email and resend it. And so that's pretty good. And then the other thing is anytime you sell things on the internet, people want receipts for it, you know, and they're like, especially if they're in Germany or some, you know, different European countries are like, no, my tax accountant says that this is not an appropriate receipt. Please include. And you're like, really? (laughs) (laughs) But you know, those are just, if you sell things on the internet problems, not Mm -hmm. uh, email course specific. That's so interesting. I want to call out that I can think of two things you've mentioned where I think for some people, they would have had the thought and then they would have been like, oh, okay, I can't do this. And they would have shut it down when you didn't do that. And I'll get into specifics. And now you've made $55,000 or whatever it is that, you know, it's growing every day. So the two moments I'm thinking of is one, you mentioning like, okay, I'm going to be talking about money and potentially I'm going to have so many naysayers and people who reply. And I know with Melissa and I, like that was one of the barriers I had to starting this podcast is the email deliverability world can be full of like contrarians and well, you aren't talking about this or whatever. And so I was like kind of scared to start a podcast and I had to get over that. So I'm sure a lot of creators can relate to not starting on something because you're anticipating the responses. Anytime you create something, it's scary to put yourself out there. So I love that you found a way around that and a way to reach the target audience and the people who would find value from it. So I think that's something to take away. And then second, I totally agree with the evergreen newsletter kind of being like my new favorite thing because I also can foresee someone getting excited to start a newsletter. It is kind of like a fun thing to start, I think. Designing your template, getting in there, you know, you've got your email list going. And at first it's fun. And then once you get on that like content hamster wheel that everyone talks about, it gets a little less fun and you get really busy and you're like, oh, I have to send this out. And especially if it's paid, the stakes are way higher. You've got to send it out. So I love that you found this different avenue. You kind of pivoted and you promised to your subscribers what you could. You're like, okay, at first this is six emails and I'm charging $99 for it. So if they are interested in that, they can buy it. That's great. And then you, of course, added more value once you could, but you didn't necessarily have to. And so I just think that that's a really good avenue for people who are listening and are thinking, oh, I want to do something, but I don't have a lot of time. I need to be careful about how I spend my time. I know I personally started a newsletter and first it was traditional and I was, yeah, burnt out already. It's like, this is, it's hard to be on that, that hamster wheel. And then I pivoted to the evergreen format. And it's been amazing because with the traditional method, I would send out this email that I took so long on. And then I would get like, 10 or 20 new subscribers. 
before the next one went out. I'm like, oh, those 10 or 20 people, they didn't get that email and they're never going to. Mm-hmm. And I spent so much time on it. But now as my list grows, people come in and they receive the content I've already created and there's a huge backlog for them. I keep it evergreen so that it's not seasonal or, you know, too topical. And it's just been amazing. It's been so much easier. And then I can sit down and I can like batch write three newsletters at a time to kind of like keep that buffer going. But I just want to encourage anyone who is wanting to start a newsletter or wanting to start, you know, a paid product of some sort, if you can fit it into this paid evergreen newsletter content type, I just think it's like something that hasn't been unlocked by enough creators. I think it has a ton of potential. Yeah, there's so much with that. Like email that I get all the time. Someone will sign up and then they'll, you know, message me on Twitter or reply to one of the first emails and say like, this was fantastic. Where do I get the back issues? Hmm. And you're like, I have good news for you. (laughs) There are no back issues. They're all like ahead of you. They're all coming. You started on email number one. And it's an email number one that I've edited and improved over time, which you have to go remember to update things. Like I had some email in my automated sequence I was talking about. This is from a couple of years ago. You know, I had had two kids and all of that. And someone got it and was like, you have three kids now. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) good point, (laughs) you know? Yeah, that's important. You do have to make some updates. But just like people want to get the best content and you can put it in order. And so you, you can actually teach concepts and say like, okay, remember how last week we covered this? Well, this week we're covering that. And you can... Then later on, if you write about something, you're like, actually, that would be really good as like email number five instead of email 15. And you can mm. pull it forward and move it around. But another thing that I like about email sequences, especially paid ones, is if there's anything that you're an expert in and you've been like, maybe you taught a workshop about it once or you were on a podcast about it once or, or that sort of thing, or like friends go to you for advice. This is a, a category where you can put it into an email course and then like update it and let that live there. So someone's like, hey, how do you, like what's your technique for sales partnerships? And instead of answering that question a bunch of times, you could write that into an an email course. It might only be three emails long and say, oh, go here. And maybe you publish it and make that open to the world so anyone can sign up. Or maybe you just keep it for like friends and like people you're much closer with because you want to put things in there of like like behind the scenes details that you don't want to like really publicly share. So I've seen people do this there's a customer of ours named Marshall who built this beautiful cabin in like the Texas Hill Country. And a bunch of people were asking him, like, how'd you do it? What's the, you know, what problems did you run into? How much did it cost? And all of that. And he's like, well, I don't really want to do a blog post about it. That's pretty, pretty public. But I do want to share it. And so he made an email course and they charged for it. I think it's like $25 or something. And so if you're, especially for someone who's in real estate or thinking about doing something similar, even if it was hundreds of dollars, it's still really cheap before you go spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to go, you know, build a cabin. And he just breaks down the whole process. And it's there as an archive, like years from now, if he's like, oh, what did we do for working with an architect or whatever else? He can actually pull up his own writing, but it's done in a public way as well. And so I just love any topic that you know a bunch about. Another obscure example is I have this friend who is also in real estate, who is an expert on like apartment floor plans. Mm -hmm. Like if you were to build a, say a 200 unit apartment building, 
what should the floor plans be? Wow. Hire me to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many one bedrooms, two bedroom studios should you have all that? Like he's one of the best in the world at that exact problem, which a, a very specific niche of people very. <laughs> have that problem. <laughs> right. And so he made an email course about that. Like, here's what he knows about floor plans. That's not the thing. He is a real estate developer. He has his own business and all that, but people keep asking about it. And he's like, all right, there you go. Put in your email address and for the next six weeks, you'll learn more than you ever wanted to know about like <laughs> large scale residential floor plans. <laughs> so, If you were to have asked me like pre-recording this, do you think that you would have an easier time with your creativity in like a broadcast, you know, one-off email situation or an evergreen newsletter situation, I probably would have said broadcast. And I think that's because naturally, like, I feel like creativity sometimes just strikes you in like different places and different situations. And so I'm like, oh, well, the one-off, you know, email, that makes more sense to me. But it's crazy how much this has already like changed my entire view on creativity and choosing the evergreen newsletter because of exactly what you're saying. Like, it would be kind of a shame to like have written the first newsletter and not been able to update that in a way that made sense for mm -hmm. now. So I, I'm already so excited listening to all of this because it really has kind of changed my perspective and like how I would give someone else advice if they asked me. Well, because I think say that first email in the newsletter is going out to 15 people, right? For you to obsess over that and get that absolutely perfect in a broadcast feels a little weird. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, there's not very many people that are reading it. This is like, it's ephemeral. Maybe you'll reuse it in some way. But if you know this is going to be email number one for a long time, okay, that, that puts some pressure on it. But good news, you can edit it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so 15 people will get that and you learn from it. And you're like, okay, now more people are getting it. So let me improve it. And so the version that's going to go out to 500 people over a period of time is so much better. Mm. And so a lot of the pressure comes off. You know, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't have to get this perfect. And then I also like to tell people, hey, what do you think about this? Like your feedback, I'm going to incorporate into mm -hmm. the future version of it. Yeah. And so people will say like, oh, I love this, but I actually got kind of confused right here. You made a leap in your logic mm -hmm. from here to there that I didn't quite follow. And so they'll give you really good feedback on it. And then they feel like they're a part of it. Yeah. It's another favorite thing is in those later emails to incorporate the feedback, right? Like the example of how people were raised related to money, I would ask people like, oh, could I incorporate your reply into a future issue? And then like, let me know if you want your name associated with it or if you would just want it anonymous. And it's really fun. So there's emails in there that are basically just notes from other people. Oh, like one example, I have, I have a question there like, what's your favorite splurge thing that you ever spent money on? And a bunch of people wrote in with really good ones. And then I use those in a future email. That's so cool. You know, with permission. Yeah, I love that. And so then you can, like, it feels like a community rather than just this one-to-one -one mm -hmm. relationship. I love it. Speaking of sequences, you know, I'm new to my sequence that's ongoing. I will say something I would consider a pro tip, although, again, I'm kind of new at mine. But Melissa and I have called this out in previous episodes that we'll see customers run into a situation where – they have a bunch of sequences and the way that it's working in the background and they're not like actively watching it, they'll look into a subscriber's profile or Melissa will look into a subscriber's profile for them and be like, did you know this person received three emails in one day and then mm -hmm. an email every day after that and then five emails another day and people are like, oh my gosh, like all my sequences. <laughs> and no wonder they unsubscribed. <laughs> 
Right. And you know, we're like, they definitely marked it as spam. Yeah. And that's not good. <laughs> so we've seen a lot of people run into that problem. So one thing I implemented with my newsletter is even though it's evergreen, I have it set to only send on Fridays. Hmm. And it's the only sequence I have, but I'm actually probably going to start another, like a welcome sequence. I actually haven't done that, which, you know, as a deliverability person, is just, I can't believe it. <laughs> I would not recommend that. But I'm going to start a welcome sequence and I'll make sure that one sends on probably like a Tuesday or something. And that just is like peace of mind. I'm sure there's like a fancier way to do all this. But for me, <laughs> I love the fact that I know, oh, it's Friday. Someone's receiving an email from me about this. And then on like a Tuesday, I'll know, yeah, my welcome sequence is getting sent out and I won't ever have them crisscrossing. So just a little uh, tip from me. Yep. I do the same thing. I send a weekly broadcast on Tuesdays. And so that is articles that I'm enjoying, the latest documentary that Convergent Team came out with, you know, things that I care about that are more timely. And then I do have a welcome sequence that goes out on Thursdays. It's only like 80 emails long, but it's like linking to my essays that if you're following my work, you should understand these like foundational things that I've written about. And that's an automated sequence. And so you'll finish that and then not get anything more in that sequence and just get the regular newsletter. And then, you know, the paid sequence on Fridays. And so I'm doing the exact same thing of like, like you could sign up for the the free newsletter, start getting the welcome sequence and the paid newsletter all at once. And so for a period of time, you might be getting three emails a week from me, but like that's still a manageable amount so long as the content is good. Mm -hmm. But I make sure that it's never multiple emails in the same day. Yes, that's very good. <laughs> yeah, that's where it gets a little dicey. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious what your future ideas are for this newsletter, or if you have any others you're thinking of starting up. I know you mentioned you might add some some new emails to the sequence here or there. Is that sort of like as far as you see it going, or do you have any other plans? Yeah, definitely adding more emails. I want more guest posts from mm. the readers in the community. There's one in there right now. I've got a couple more that are in the works. You know, someone like saying, hey, you're an expert on this thing. You understand it way better. Like, will you come write, you know, an, an article for this? Especially as you get into like the nuances of tax structure. Or other, like it's important to know, but like it's pretty detailed. That's one side. I want to bring back the like investment portfolio check-in. I haven't done that for a year now. And so I want to add that back in. And then... Something that's been interesting, we did one like live workshop where a friend of mine uh, named Dan Martell, uh, who had a book coming out called Buy Back Your Time, you know, it's basically about how to use money to buy back your time, to make it so you have more time to, to spend on either your business or your life or whatever, whatever you want. He came and taught a live workshop to the community who had bought the newsletter. And that was really cool. It was fun to see people's faces live and hear their questions. And so I want to do more things like that. I've got another friend who's on the newsletter who's like, you need to turn this into like a, a meetup or a weekend mastermind. Let's all come out to the to your farm and let, you know. <laughs> so I think some more in-person gatherings or, or something along those lines would be really fun to let people connect with each other. I think what's interesting about that is I never would have set out to start a community around this topic. Mm. But when I put out the content and then people gather together around it, like a community naturally formed. And so I want to find more ways to like to foster that and to say like, hey, we're doing a, a Q&A and a hangout on Zoom at this time and maybe 20 people will show up. And that would be really fun yeah. if because you know that everyone is is like engaged around that topic. Um, and so then even if it's 
like 20 people on your newsletter or 500, I think if you, you know, if you knew you could get at least five together for a live call, like that would add to it. And then now when someone's replying to newsletter each week, you're like, oh, that puts a, you know, puts a face to it. So I, I want to do more things like that. So cool. It highlights one of the things I love most about email over all of the other channels out there is just the ability to go deep with your audience and build those connections in ways that it's like you mentioned the ebook, like it's just so much harder to do things like that in other methods. But email makes it so easy to have those like one on one connections and really build up trust and relationship with your audience, which can make all of the difference. Yeah, we say all the time. I mean, probably almost once an episode that like, remember, there's someone real and alive on the other side of that email address. So I almost see also this helping creators want to even be better and create better content, because once they know that person is enjoying that content on the other side of that email address, like you want to show up for your audience. Yep, for sure. I think another thing is add an email to your sequence that's saying like, hey, what do you want to learn on this topic? And then the reply, like just hit reply and tell me. Mm-hmm. And then you can be like, okay, James, you know, here's what you, you know, like you're answering that person's very specific question. And then you can replace the name with like subscriber.firstname. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it so much easier. If you basically, if you lean into that community and that feedback loop, then it makes it so much easier to keep writing content. And so you, instead of remembering like, you know, every six months to ask, what would you like me to write about? Just build it into the automation. Mm -hmm. And then you ask everyone and you just get the steady stream. And then in your email account, like put a label for replies to that particular email. And then you can organize all of that into like writing ideas. And then you can just click in there and be like, oh, I got three new emails. Like, oh, that's an interesting topic. I guess I'll write about that today. And then you end up with this flywheel that keeps feeding itself. I love it. We've talked about flywheels before, but just in case someone hasn't heard about it, do you want to talk more about flywheels and why they're so helpful? Okay. So I first learned about flywheels on a trip in South Africa years ago where we were at this orphanage and they had drilled a well and they had a hand pump on top of it. And so it's a lot of work if you think about it. Like you pump for a long time to bring water hundreds of feet up so that it can be used and and consumed. And so that was a ton of work. But then it was replaced with a flywheel, which is big, heavy. I think this one was cast iron wheel that's on top. And at first, like, it's so hard to get a turn to turn. It does the same motion of bringing water up to the surface. It's like a hand pump that you go back and forth. But this wheel is so much harder to turn than the, than the hand pump is to operate. So I remember like another friend of myself, like pushing it hard and like leaning into it and getting it turned. But then the more it, it spun, the faster it went and the easier it got. And it got to the point where it was something that I could stand there and like with one finger, Mm -hmm. just keep it spinning, you know, and it's just pumping up water continuously. And like, it's really, really effective. And so that's what a flywheel is, is basically taking something that would be this one-off effort and turning into a system that when you do it repeatedly, it gets easier and easier. And so I'm always looking for things in a newsletter in content creation to say, how can I take this one-off piece of effort that I'm doing and turn it into something that gives me additional results. I think a great example of this is our brand team in their storytelling process. Mm. So Isa on our team will tell a story. She'll interview a creator and then turn that into a written story. Some of those we do a film on as well. And then from there, like the written story turns into a podcast because she just reads it 
and it's like bedtime stories with Issa, but <laughs> you know, creator economy edition. And it's fantastic, you know, but that's not a huge amount of, like producing a, a podcast is not a huge amount of extra work. The story was already written, you know, she spends maybe a half hour to go through and read that. And then that gets edited. But then as you go through the process, one step in there is that we have a photographer go work with the creator, you know, and do all of these beautiful photos. And then down from there, so we use that in our storytelling, like in the story itself, the creator gets to use it. So it's fun to, you know, a few months later, go to their site and see that they read it their about page with the photography that, that we had done for them. We have a step in there where we ask them, hey, would you be open to contributing some of these photos like back to the internet? And so we actually have a library on Unsplash, which is our creator photos. And that's where, yeah, at this point, I think there are like 40 million downloads of our photos. It's pretty crazy. That is crazy. And it's just, it's a step in our storytelling process. People say like, yeah, sure. And so like we have photos of podcasters and artists and so many more that are just from these creators. And then as it goes f- further into our own marketing, like if you go to convertkit.com, you'll see that almost all of our photos, maybe all of them, right? You won't find a stock photo on our site unless it's maybe like a featured image for a blog post or something. But if it's in our marketing, it's real creators who actually use ConvertKit and it's our original photos. And so this is something that's turned into a flywheel that like continually moves through the process. And so when the marketing team is looking for a story to feature a case study on, like there's high quality photos, there's real people. And then the final conclusion is that every two years, you know, like this flywheel continues and spits out stories and these other byproducts as we go. But then every two years, there's this bigger flywheel that runs and turns it into a coffee table book. I have this one-off effort of like, oh, we're going to, crazy idea, we're going to do a coffee table book. It's like, no, it's part of this much bigger Mm. creative machine that's operating. And so like as a creator, the thing that you want to do is find as many of the things that you're supposed to make and turn it into a flywheel that, you know, is going to serve you. So that's the complicated example. And the simple example is put an email in your sequence Mm -hmm. that asks people what they're struggling with and then write articles, write future emails as answers to their struggles. I love it. I know we are out of time with you and you're a very busy man. So I would love to end it with, if you have any tips for creators when it comes to creating a paid evergreen email newsletter. We would love to hear it. Yeah. I think the first thing is to just start. And if you're intimidated about like, will people buy this, then maybe start with a low price. You know, you could start with 10 bucks, 20 bucks and just gradually increase it from there. You could also say, Hey, the first 10 people who buy it are going to get it at $10. And after that, it's going to be $20 or it's going to be $10 up until I write five emails for it. Right. You can build some scarcity into this. And then I would say also like set aside dedicated time to work on it. So that you're like, okay, at least one hour a week, I'm going to work on and improve this. And then I think really just go back and like, think of it as a living, breathing project. We're very used to emails that you hit send on and they're done. Mm. You cannot change them. And this is the first time that that's different, where you can go back and change the email, not for the person who already received it, but for the next hundred or thousand people who are going to come after them. And so don't feel like it has to be perfect, like hit publish. And then as you get replies, like make sure you, you know, replies and feedback and new ideas, make sure you do an audit on it and go through and, and add in that third child that now exists. So they don't feel (laughs) forgotten because you wouldn't want them to resent you when they turn 18. No, I don't know. (laughs) Wow. It got dark. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, it's just a good example of, of going through like things change and, and all of that. So, you know, you can update your information and keep it fresh rather than feeling like, oh, that was the thing that you wrote years ago, but it's no longer relevant. Perfect. Thank you so much. This was so good. I'm very inspired to go work on my newsletter. And I hope our listeners are inspired to go create their own evergreen newsletters and create some flywheels. Yes, the wheels are turning (laughs) already. I'm like, I know, I know. This happens every time. I'm like, okay, what do I need to do with my life now? (laughs) I love it. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you later. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.